0: hello america and welcome to a new edition of john solomon reports the podcast from just the news where today we have a very special guest i'm so blessed we're going to have the one the only robert woodson i call him bob woodson one of the iconic civil rights leaders of our time and and uh, a man who doesn't throw platitudes around doesn't throw money around and just say we've helped you He has put ideas from school choice to empowerment zones to small business givebacks and and small business uh, networking to help communities create sustainable economies so that they're not dependent on food stamps and welfare and minimum wage jobs for another generation and also failing schools. Um, He is absolutely groundbreaking in his approach to empowerment in America's urban centers, in America's poverty centers. He doesn't play the race card. He doesn't play the welfare card. He is a man trying to, on a daily basis, build principles, build infrastructure, uh, build know-how, build networks that help communities get better. And his body of work over the last 50 years is something to be marveled at. He comes out of the same extraordinary civil rights generation that gave us Vernon Jordan, who, by the way, passed away today at the age of 85, great civil rights leader, many of the other great civil rights leaders, you can name them all. But Bob diverted from a lot of the thinking uh, over time and, and, and developed what I would con- consider a very strong body of conservative thought on how to solve the poverty problem, how to solve um the uh, issues of fatherlessness and crime and failing schools that that make up the, the storyline, the victimization of urban blight, as we call it. Um, he, he doesn't buy uh, all of this um, wokeness, whiteness, um, white shame. Uh, he, he thinks it's counterproductive. And we're going to talk to him about that, you know, what's going on at Coca-Cola and other places. But he brings a lifetime of ideas, ideas that have worked, that have empowered, that have engaged people. And I think today's podcast will lift you up. It'll force you to think in ways that we don't always think about here on the show. We're we're always moving on the news. But um, Bob is an ideas man, a solution maker, and he's willing to call it things what they are. He calls out people for fake um, uh, solutions for empty promises, for unfulfilled things, for just throwing money at a problem without knowing what the need is. And I think today you're going to hear that. And we're going to have the whole show with him. Just real quickly, I want to get to some stories that are breaking today. Three very important things. First, as I mentioned, Vernon Jordan passed away at the age of 85 to an iconic civil rights leader. We're going to ask Bob about that and his legacy. But secondly, Chris Ray on the Capitol Hill today on the FBI oversight hearing And uh, early on, as he's talking about extremism and other things, there's an amazing moment where Senator Charles Grassley stands up and speaks. And what he says is that we, we all want to get to the bottom of domestic extremism, but it is intellectually dishonest if we're only focusing on a handful of conservatives to make the woke crowd happy. We need to look at all forms of domestic extremism, Muslim terrorism, uh, internal to the United States, Antifa and liberal violence, uh, environmental extremism, uh, white supremacism, all of the different ailing forms of of, um, domestic terrorism. Uh, You got to watch and listen to uh, Chuck Grassi's statement. We're going to... um, build out a um, story on that. Check it out at justthenews.com. You can see all of the developments today, but uh, you know, he's talked about 2000 cases uh, today. I saw a little bit of this today. There are 2000 cases about extremism domestic to America. That's great, but there's a much question. Are we, are we preaching this, approaching this with a balance and, and, and a broadness that it deserves? Or are we letting the media narrative about January 6th and the Capitol riot dominate. How at the FBI investigates? We should punish all people who burned our cities down last year or intruded on our incredible house of democracy at the Capitol on January 6th. I think Chuck Grassi summed up the sentiments of a lot of the people that I know read Just the News and, and listen to just um, uh, John Solomon reports. So check that out on Just the News. Two big exclusive stories I'm very proud of as well. Just want to mention that. Um, The first is from my good colleague, Susan Katz-Keating. We've had her on the show many times. Andrew Cuomo, well, his problem with women, the allegations of harassment, didn't just start in New York the last couple of years. They go all the way back to the 1990s when Bill Clinton was president and when Andrew Cuomo was his HUD secretary, housing and urban development secretary. What we found is a big, big story that – The inspector general, who was a subordinate employee of Cuomo when he was HUD secretary, the independent watchdog filed a sexual harassment complaint against him, was actually assisted by members of Congress who were deeply concerned by the way she was being treated. She talked about dirty tricks being um, played on her, um, subjected to hostility, to harassment. Uh, This Cuomo behavior Concerned Women didn't just start a little while ago. Susan Katz Keatings takes us back 20 years to the late 1990s and an epic battle between Andrew Cuomo and his inspector general at HUD, Um, a woman named Gaffney. Read this story. It'll give you a lot of context and to understand that these aren't isolated episodes. There's more to this. And of course, Governor Cuomo deserves the benefit of the doubt until these investigations are over. But facts are how you decide Cases like this, and we've given you a whole bunch of new facts. The testimony's available. The letters are available. Go to justinnews.com. Click on the uh, dig in section of each of our stories, and you'll see exactly what was in our, a reporter's notebook. Finally, last piece of the puzzle that we really want to tell you about. I had a story this morning. I've been fascinated by Congresswoman Deb Holland and her nomination to be the Interior Secretary. If she is confirmed, she'll be a historic nominee, a historic uh, cabinet member because she'll be the first cabinet secretary to uh, come from the Native American origins. And and uh, that's something we all can celebrate. That's a good thing. Diversity and groundbreaking and glass ceiling smashing appointments are great. But the best way to treat each um, uh, cabinet secretary and nominee during the nomination process is to treat him like every other nominee, whether their uh, appointment is historic, mundane. And that is, do we we have to hold them all to the same standards? And Deb Holland has had a problem getting her ethics reports correct before Congress. She was in Congress for three years before she was nominated. Um, She has filed three different financial disclosure forms for the same year, 2018, the year before she had giving three different, vastly different amounts of money. We talked about one of those last week. So she started at $30,000 income from her tribe uh, on her first financial disclosure form in May 19, when she was about to become interior secretary nominee. She suddenly amended it and said, oh, I forgot $16,000 from a casino I got. She put that on there. And then in the last couple of days, she erased all of that income and said, I really only made $4,000 while running for Congress in 2018. That seems almost implausible. $4,000 is one-third of the poverty level for an individual American. You can't live on $4,000 a year. That's what she's now claiming. She's eliminated forty dollars or $50,000 that she previously reported, now says, without explanation, I didn't really make that. And now she's claiming that she ran for Congress, crisscrossed New Mexico, went to national fundraisers, while living on $4,000 a year. Something isn't right about these forms. Republicans on these oversight committees aren't asking the tough questions, sadly, but this is an important story. It's something that we ought to take a look at. Deb Holland, just like every other interior Secretary, should get her ethics forms correct. We've got some important watchdogs, people we've had on this show, Dave Bossie, um, Tom Fitton talking about this, uh, that it's important that senators get to the bottom of this before they uh, decide on the fate of her nomination important story you got all of those only because you read just the news those were exclusive to just the news we hope you like them we hope they make a difference for you all right folks we're going to go to quick commercial break before we do uh yeah i always like to call out you know one of our great sponsors and advertisers we have so many of them they're doing amazing things and uh, my friends at Ancestry DNA are amazing. If you want to learn about where your family came from, what history you don't know your family may be connected to, what ethnic origins, uh, what travels, what harrowing stories you might not know from a great grandmother, great grandfather, uh, one distant, long uh, forgotten relative that you might not even know you're related to, uh, you go right now, right now. You go to ancestry.com and you check this out. Um, It's so fascinating. And, you know, ancestry.com basically gives you the DNA of your family's history. They like to say that the story of your family is the story of you. And I think that's really true. The more you get connected to where you came from, where your family, your your generations before you came from the more you can appreciate where you are today and researching your history is also fun. It isn't just enlightening and personally enriching. It is fun. You can get your whole family involved. I've got my wife and my son helping me right now do one of these ancestry Um, uh, uh, checks uh, at Ancestry.com. I love it. I really feel like I'm learning things. It's really easy to start making discoveries this way. What you do is you go get a free trial and amplify your discoveries with Ancestry's billions of records. Billions of records. You're not even going to know where you go. I'm an investigative reporter. I love digging. I'm digging on my family right now. So, if you want to start exploring your family story today, what you do is you go to Ancestry.com slash just the news. Let me give you that again. It's pretty easy to remember. ancestrycom just the news, and you'll get your Anc- ancestry DNA kit right now. You start a free trial, and you're on your way on a, an extraordinary self exploration, a voyage of my own family's history. That is worth doing. It's fun. Maybe it's going to be cold or rainy where you are this weekend. Get on the ancestry DNA kit and get going. You you won't regret it. I certainly don't. Again, I'm going to give you that one more time. Ancestry.com slash justthenews. All right, we're going to hear for some more sponsors. When we come back, before we get to Bob Woodson, I promised you uh, that we would talk uh, and get a readout from what happened at CPAC from D.C. Drano. In a few minutes, you're going to come back and we're going to hear from somebody you heard last week on the show. It was fun. Firsthand report. Uh, from Rogan O'Hanley at what happened at CPAC. What a weekend it was. News upon news upon news in Orlando, Florida. We'll come right back. Quick update from Rogan O'Hanley, and then we'll go to the one and only Bob Woodson. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay up letters. Millions, I say. Hey, my colleague Sophie Mann has just started as the new anchor of Just the News AM, our television show in the morning, 9 o'clock in the morning. You can watch it anytime. If you miss it at 9, it's on demand on our website. It's on Pluto TV uh, with our good friends Real America's Voice. You can get the Real America's Voice app on your iPhone and your Google phone, your Android phone. Um, But today... Uh, or in the last 24 hours, Sophie had Rogan O'Hanley on her show and he, she debriefed him about all he predicted for us last week. Remember, we had him on the show. I want you to hear what you had a few things to say. If you get a chance to tune in to Sophie's show every day, just the news AM on Real America's Voice, on Dish Network, on Pluto on all the places where there are streaming devices. But listen to what Rogan had to say. He gives us some insights about what really went on, the true story of CPAC.
1: We're here now with lawyer, conservative activist, and known on Instagram as at the DC Drano, Rogan Handley, Rogan, excuse me, Rogan O'Handley. Rogan, how are you?
2: Doing well, Sophie, thanks for having me on.
1: Thank you so much for being here. So you had quite the weekend down in Florida uh, at CPAC.
2: Yeah, so I live in Florida. We're one of the freest states in the country. Thank you to our beautiful governor, Ron DeSantis. Uh, we have no mask mandates or lockdowns at the state level. But what I found out when I traveled a couple hours east to Orlando for CPAC is that Orlando very much still enforces uh, you know, a county level ordinance requiring masks. And after about 20 minutes in CPAC with my media credentials, I was uh, forcibly asked to leave by Hyatt security and local uh, sheriff's deputies for refusing to wear my mask while taking pictures with followers.
1: So what do you make of that? Uh, despite the fact that Florida, as you say, is relatively free um, when it comes to certain coronavirus restrictions that we see imposed by other states, it's, it is still being enforced sort of at this local level. What, what do you make of that sort of, if, if it's happening in Florida, how long do we think it's really gonna be in effect elsewhere around the country? Well,
2: I, I, I don't necessarily think it's as strictly enforced, uh, you know, statewide or even countywide uh, as much as it was enforced against me and another friend of mine, Austin Fletcher, who was also yeah. asked to leave. Uh, you know, I think there is a bias against conservatives. And when you have these uh, conferences, they you know almost treat you like a second class citizen. Uh, because they know you don't like wearing the mask. They know, you know, you didn't vote for their guy. And so you never know who's kind of lurking, uh, you know, the, the the you know, liberal walking around with a security badge. And so um, I was targeted pretty quickly. I had a shirt that said arrest Cuomo on it. Yeah. Uh, and there were many, many people not wearing masks, but they, for some reason, uh, went after me. And I ended up with this nice little trespass warning <laughs> saying that if I returned to the hotel, I would be arrested on site. So that's, good to know that we live in a free country.
1: Oh, wow. So that was the end of your CPAC journey. That is just wild. Well, I mean, so while you were able to be on the ground at CPAC, do you want to talk a little bit about sort of what you saw? Obviously, this was an enormous weekend for conservatives, seeing Donald Trump return to the stage mightily to address, you know, his people, his supporters. What was sort of the vibe uh, that you kind of ascertained?
2: Well, I think people, you know, largely since, uh, you know, President Trump has left office, we've been looking for a shot of energy and confidence and uh, boldness that we were missing. You know, with President Trump doesn't have his massive Twitter and other social media platforms, it really mutes the enthusiasm in the movement. And so a lot of us, uh, you know, influencers and uh, GOP officials, we stepped up to kind of fill that void. But uh, a lot of people were really waiting for guidance from our, you know, you know, biggest leader. And boy, did he do that. Uh, you know, he talked about some fresh issues going into, you know, this next couple years. Cancel culture, big on his plate. Who better to talk about cancel culture than the most canceled person in American history? Uh, if you look at the followers that they deleted, you know, women's rights. The GOP is now the party of women's rights. We were already the party of, you know, blue-collar workers' rights under President Trump. So he's really expanding, uh, you know, this GOP tent to uh, bring even more people in than the 10 million he added between 2016 and 2020.
1: So as you say, uh, assuming President Trump or former President Trump. Um, is going to be an absolutely key part of the Republican sort of running field moving forward, whether that be as a candidate himself or spurring other candidates along. Do you, you think that he opens up the party to people and that he is sort of a friendly, warm uh, face and voice somehow? Do you, do you want to see him run again in 2024? Do you think that he is sort of a politician unlike any other in that regard?
2: I absolutely 100% want to see him running in 2024. You know, the biggest holdback that I think some people have is will be his age. Uh, I believe he'll be 70, late 70s around okay. that point. But uh, people have to remember, there's a big difference between Trump late 70s and Joe Biden. Trump late 70s might as well be mid 60s for regular people. This guy is an absolute machine, uh, and I do believe the motivation to get uh, you know, almost revenge against the injustice committed against him. You know, they spied on him in his campaign and no one got held accountable, barely anyone. Uh, you know, and now they've deleted all his social media uh, for saying he wasn't going to attend the inauguration. So it's an absolute atrocity what they've done to this man. Uh, you know, they, they've turned him into a martyr for free speech. And a lot of people that, you know, voted for him, the 74 million plus, were more than willing to step up and do it again hopefully ron DeSantis gets in the mix maybe as a vp maybe governor Nome as well so we got a lot of great options heading into 2024 with uh, trump at the top of the ticket
1: certainly does seem like there were several significant contenders down there this weekend so speaking of injustice rogan you were kicked off twitter this weekend
2: yeah uh this was actually one of the weirdest things uh that happened in addition to getting a trespass warning at cpac for not mm-hmm. wearing a mask uh to take selfies but Three hours after I, I posted the video, said I'm being detained, uh, You know, they, they said no selfies without wearing a mask. I posted on Twitter. It went pretty viral, nothing too crazy. And then three hours later, my entire account was banned. Uh, when I opened it, they did not say what the tweet or post was. I had almost 400,000 followers on there. I got an email later saying that you violated rules on civic integrity. Uh, with, with respect to elections, uh, basically saying I was trying to suppress the vote or mislead people on when and where to vote, that's clearly a an excuse because there are no elections. I have not posted about the election in over a month. I think that this was flat out someone doing something that they didn't like with respect to masks and going against Fauci guidelines, and they wanted to delete me from their platform. But uh, little do they know, I will be lawyering up. I'm going to fight this on behalf of myself and so many others that have been slighted and mistreated and censored and deplatformed by these big tech cartel companies.
1: Well, we're glad to hear you're going to fight it. So, what is sort of your message to conservatives right now who are, you know, afraid of being censored on these big tech platforms?
2: They can't ban us all. Continue speaking for free speech continue speaking the truth, continue defending the Constitution. And, you know, and if they want to target me for going after elections, it wasn't hate speech, it wasn't copyright violations, it wasn't harassment. I was talking about our Constitution and our elections, okay? And, and it was a month ago, it wasn't even recent. But if we are not allowed to criticize our government or to stand strong for our Constitution on big tech, how is that not a violation of our civil rights? How is this not enough where we finally start passing laws at the state or national level that protect free speech on social media? Because if they're going after people like me, very mainstream people, it's only a matter of time until they start going after everyone else, including oh. President Trump, which they already did.
1: We hope to see you prevail in that fight. Rogan, tell the viewers where we can find you now.
2: Yeah, I'm on uh, you know, <clears throat> Instagram, Telegram, Parler, Facebook pretty much every other platform except Twitter. Look for me, DC Draino, which stands for Draining the DC Swamp. I promise I am not going anywhere no matter what they do. I will spring up in some other way.
1: Well, we're glad to hear that. We'll uh, we'll keep talking to you about that uh, legal battle as it proceeds. Thank you so much, Rogan.
0: All right, folks, welcome back. We're gonna go to another quick commercial break. When we come back, the one and only Robert Woodson of the Woodson Center, um, uh, a giant in the civil rights movement, in the urban empowerment movement, in um, good conservative ideas for America. You're not gonna wanna miss this interview. This is a conversation long overdue in America and you're gonna get it here first with the one and only Bob Woodson right after this commercial break. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, somebody who has been on the forefront of civil rights, of community building, neighborhood building, a man that I say has so many great ideas. And every time he comes on one of our shows, he lights up our intellect and challenges us to think bigger and smarter. Robert Woodson is joining us today from the Woodson Institute. Uh, Great to have you, Bob. Well, pleased to be here, John. Really good. For those who are uh, you have an amazing uh, career as a civil rights leader as a neighborhood development person as as someone that reaches out to both parties and tries to create ideas and empower people from the ground up when you look at uh today where both parties are uh, residing in terms of trying to help urban blight urban crime all the things that that uh, uh burden uh, urban america particularly how do you distinguish between the two approaches? Uh, how do the Democrats look at it versus how Republicans look at it right now?
3: Well, as an old African proverb said when bull elephants fight the grass always loses. <laughs> that's
0: that's a pretty good that one's a sure thing.
3: <laughs> I love it. Wow. And I I think that the uh, low income people of all races are the losers in this uh tribal debate that is taking place um, throughout the country
1: um,
3: where, unfortunately, the radical left uh, progressives have seized upon uh, the race issue to use America's birth defect as a bludgeon against the country. I mean, they really are they're doing this in the name of pursuing justice for blacks, but I, I don't think they care at all about blacks. They're just weaponizing the race issue for political purposes, and that's what we saw um, active in this last um, campaign. Um, and uh, unfortunately, our friends on the right uh, are engaged in, in a counter debate over over the issues uh, in a way, in many cases, that that are are not helpful. And and that's why uh, what we're doing at the Woodson Center is to not engage in debate, but offer solutions. Uh, The American public are are desperate for non-racial solutions, but they're not being offered very much. And that's what we're trying to fill that void.
0: It, it, it is so true. And I think uh, race has just become a, 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 another excuse to have a political fight rather than to look at the hard issues that, that need to be solved. And when I when I think of you, and I've, I've been blessed over 30 years to see your work in so many different fronts going back to when I was editor of the Washington Times. Yeah, you always have been, you know, I think of the word empowerment when I think of you, because I've always heard you talk about how important it is to empower people for themselves to To get onto the economic ladder, to climb up the ladder, today we hear about a lot of what I I consider to be um, uh, the best option there is. The best you can do is a fifteen dollar minimum wage. The best you can do is a welfare check. The best you can do is a stimulus check. And while all those things obviously play a role in the safety net, you really have always strived for uh, for those who are at, uh, struggling to get out of uh, poverty, to get out of there. To, to that empowerment is the place to go, have we lost that word? I mean, I remember Jack Kemp using it. I remembered Bill Clinton using it. Have we lost that word? Is empowerment seem like too big a concept for today's political leaders?
3: Well I think the 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 people on the left um they have always sort of been allied against it they They keep promoting government as a solution. but as I've documented in others uh, particularly in the black community um we, we have been severely disadvantaged. A lot of the problems of out-of-wedlock birth and violence that you're seeing is not a legacy of slavery discrimination. It, it, all of this got started in the 60s when the government intervened with the poverty program and really expanding welfare uh, to replace fathers. And that's when you've seen this explosion uh, of th- that decimated the nuclear family and then it it ushered in all of these problems, um, and and so no that 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 is really the case. Poverty has been, prior to the 60s were never associated with bad behavior. Uh, it was never associated with bad Such behavior. Such a great point. I mean, you know, you didn't find uh, a sharecroppers rioting or, or robbing and stealing each of, from each other.
0: Yeah, that's right. No, it's true. Uh,
3: but on the other hand, what what I I have, and so I really believe in self determination and resilience. We documented that that's what enabled blacks to survive slavery and Jim Crow, is a rich history of self self development and self resistance. I mean self assistance. But what my what I criticized my friends on the right. As Robbie George and I were at a conference together recently, and he made a good point. He says, if conservatives believe in limited government, which we do, um, if, then if it's important to support mediating structures in low-income communities so that low-income people don't have to rely on government. Yeah. So it's not enough to say what you're against. We, as conservatives, we're great about telling people what we're against, but we need to talk to people, as Jack Kent about what we're for. And yeah. we need to support the efforts of low income people to, um, you know, support. So we ought to for- support funding, private funding of mediating institutions, local grassroots leaders, uh, uh, uh as, low- as Jack Kemp did. Right. But uh, conservatives have not been as aggressive in supporting mediating structures. They would prefer issue white papers condemning what the left is doing. in in expanding government and so so this is where i think we're what we need to do
0: when you look at the trump years there are some remarkable statistics that hardly get talked about in the media uh, Six million people were lifted out of poverty in three years before the pandemic struck. Uh, I think I read from Newt Gingrich recently, 45,000 African-Americans became millionaires or were millionaires during that time. Uh, there were signs that some of these policies, the, the idea of the marketplace in, in empowering people to, to build a business, build a better community, they were working. What did, you, what did you see with the Trump years that were right and wrong for all the things that you stood for in your life?
3: Well, the Trump years really did—I mean—have uh, promoted re- uh, solutions that, that that have helped uh, lift a lot of low-income blacks out of poverty, absolutely. And 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 that's that's why 18% of Black Americans voted for for Trump. I think it was higher among Black men, but it's right. significant. I think he got more Black votes uh, in the last than any Republican since Nixon. And we saw that in the state of Florida in in 2018, right? When DeSantis ran against Gillum, who was the black candidate, right? And DeSantis won by 32,000 votes. That's because 100,000 low-income black parents voted for him because of his position on choice and education, right? So even though that Gillum brought in Oprah Winfrey and Barack Obama to vote, to campaign for him. So here you have 100,000 blacks voting against Oprah and against Obama and for Republicans because the Republican offered a choice. Yeah. He offered a policy. It wasn't race oriented. And so that to me Republicans should have built on that fact. But they never talked about it. I never see them uh, uh, coming in and 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 learning from that experience to offer other pol- policies, the uh, Trump did that. If unfortunately the way he did it um, interfered with his ability to even expand beyond the 18 percent.
0: Right. When you look at it, if choice is really, I mean, choice is an empowerment word. It allows you to make your own decisions instead of the government making them for you. School choice. Uh, what are some of the other areas where choice, personal choices, improving choices help uh, not only the African-American community and the urban community and the inner city community? What What are some of the ideas that Republicans, when Republicans are best, they're an ideas party and they're at worst when they're a personality party. When When do you think, uh, what do you think are the best ideas for empowerment choice that Republicans should be talking about? Is, is, is Beyond school choice, are there other places to go to oh, empower yeah. people? I, I
3: think. I think access to capital um is is another one. Um access to capital, access to information, enterprise development, um uh, how can we um uh, make uh more capital available. I think the empowerment zones yeah. is something was that was very attractive it sure that dealt was. with the economic well being of people. Um and so I, I just think taking an economic uh, emphasis on a, any minority group's participation in the economy depends upon their small business formation rates.
0: Yeah, that's great, mainstream you know, America, right? Yeah.
3: Yes, and and so only three percent of the population are entrepreneurs; that generate seventy percent of the jobs. And that's... so I think a great deal. Uh, Steve Goldsmith, I worked with him for six years, and and he had some uh, fascinating. He privatized public services and even subcontracted the maintenance of parks through local black churches that hired local teenagers. And the parks were maintained and they remained safe because they were being maintained by the community. And there were other creative ideas that Steve came up with that linked the um, the, the, the mall owners in the downtown malls with the and they subcontracted business to the small businesses in the communities. We brought together about fifty small businesses in one of the high crime areas and formed a sort of informal chamber of commerce. And Steve, as it took some of his, um, uh, the city's money to invest in establishing relationships between the mall owners and the small business owners, so that they began to purchase goods and services from them. That's the kind of creativity of using the marketplace uh, to benefit people, and for instance, Steve, uh, they have these uh, the, these 5K races, and they have uh, uh, hospitality centers Shift, Steve shifted it to one of the hospitality stations within the low-income neighborhoods.
0: Such a such so a it's, yeah, private enterprise
3: private enterprise it's yeah. just a matter of of looking at these communities not as objects of of, of, of of charity but opportunities to invest and a lot of those grassroots leaders have ideas about um, developing enterprise but if you got to look at them instead of being recipients of government largesse, we should look at them as producers of goods and services. Steve Goldsmith did that. He wrote two books about it.
0: Wow. Yeah, no, you're right. When I was coming of age as a reporter in the late 80s, into the Reagan years, you and Jack Kemp, particularly were, I think, the most creative uh, thought leaders in terms of how Republicans could engage urban America, engage uh, uh, African-American, Latinos, is there a do you when you look at the current class of politicians coming up on the right and the left is there anybody that you look at and say you know what they've got the right approach they're talking the right ideas they're 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 putting ideas and not rhetoric into the into the marketplace anyone that gets you excited as you look at the current frontier
3: <laughs> I'm sorry you asked me that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm
0: sorry about that <laughs> it was just an inevitable question
3: <laughs> because i mean there's no one that i've seen uh, on the scene that really, and, and and I must admit, I haven't really thought about it. Yeah. So, I mean, I, when, when I don't have an answer for something, I just have to tell you, I yeah. uh, I mean, they may exist, but I guess I haven't looked for them yeah. because all, all I've heard from them is assaulting the other side.
0: Right. It's a big mistake, isn't it? Uh, you don't gain it votes is. by assaulting their side. You gain votes by putting solid ideas on the table. Um, yeah. You you have seen a lot of history. You've witnessed a lot of change in America. Uh, when you hear things like Coca Cola say we need to become less white, when you hear John Brennan on television, yes, they say I'm ashamed to be a white man. Um, uh, after you know all the things I've learned, uh, what is going on in this dialogue? Why do you know iconic companies, iconic public officials, feel like apologizing for being white or black or whatever? The reason is. It, that that's the approach that makes everybody happy.
3: Well, it's insulting. Uh, In fact, I was telling some people I prefer the old-fashioned bigot than somebody who patronizes me.
1: That's how it's viewed, isn't it? Sorry
3: for being white. Yeah. Give me an old-fashioned bigot because I think <laughs> at least they they have a level of respect right. that some of these guilty white people who are making, professing uh, white guilt, I mean, I find them disgusting. Yeah. No, you know I, to me there it's 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 liberal racism
0: it it's, it's that, just,
3: that you know because you're treating people as impotent children. I'd right. rather be you know like i said i'd rather i can confront malice with violence. I can't confront folly
0: <laughs> that's a good point, you're right yeah, and, so
3: and how do you how do you <laughs> confront folly when someone says to you oh john but i'm i i know i'm you're telling me I'm injuring you, but I'm here to help
0: right yep
3: yeah you, know, you want to scream to them i want to say to guilty white right people stop helping us
0: <laughs> yes let us help ourselves get out of our yeah.
3: way yeah please stop helping us
0: yeah isn't that an amazing thing to think and say when you say that it is it is so powerful though and it is the the, the racial <laughs> debate has become it's become so patronizing that it, it, it's like a bad snl skit i mean that's how bad it's become, and, and yet, you know, there are, there are real signs that if you give access to capital, if you make better choices in schools or give people better choices in schools, uh, if you, you know, break the blockade of the unions over over school policies and, and uh, the blockade of capital, um, that real good things happen and the government can just get out of the way, then they don't need to help it actually there. I was in Milwaukee last summer. And I um, I had to go pick up some stuff for my in-laws and I stopped into a uh, an hardware shop, an old family hardware shop I'd gone to when I'd been there 30 years ago. And it's uh, owned by an African American family, really sweet people. And the, the as we were checking out, he remembered and I've noticed now that I'd been on Fox and been on TV watching things. He said to me something, I have not forgotten this. Um, uh, why is it that so many americans think the best we can do is minimum wage the best we can do is a welfare check why can't you put the same rung on the ladders that my that earlier generations of american have and let us climb the ladder ourselves this is a person that made himself you know with his own store it started with nothing when do we get back to, is there a moment in American history now where we realize that all the handouts have turned out to be really detrimental and that the real thing that, that, uh, that those in America need that haven't yet made it to the middle class or above is just the rungs on the ladder to be put back on the opportunity to just be given.
3: Well, we're using this occasion of, of race, race and awareness at 1776 United at the Woodson center to, yeah. To point to examples from the past that when whites were at their worst, blacks were at their best. So we give examples of hotels, of railroads, of banks, insurance companies, colleges and universities were built uh, in the presence of this hostile atmosphere. Uh, And so by educating people, black and white, about America is the only nation on the face of the earth that ever fought a war to end slavery and that America should never be defined by its birth defect of slavery, but defined by the promise. And so we think that people are motivated to improve when they see victories that are possible and not just injuries to be avoided. So, but I think by, through our essays that'll be published next month, we, we celebrate uh, and, and 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 educate people through our curriculum about the rich tradition America has coming from the Black community of of producing enterprise and 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 we have the highest marriage rate between 1930 and 1940 a period when we were going through the depression. Isn't that amazing? And so it is important for for America, not just Black America, to to. um, uh, play homage to this rich tradition uh, in this country uh, by embracing the values of our founders of faith, family, and self-determination.
0: Such such an important point. I want to get to the Woodson Center in a second as we goes out so that people who aren't as familiar with it, we can educate them. But before we do that, there was some sad news today that happened. Uh, Vernon Jordan, one of the great icons of the civil rights movement, one of the people that when I met him one time, I, I, there were about a handful of people I can count on one hand. My, when my back was turned. I didn't know they were entering the room. I swore I felt them entering the room before I even turned around. And he was one of those guys that had such an amazing presence. I, I don't know where you agreed and disagreed with him in his thing, but his passing today, any, any thoughts, any reflections on, on what Vernon Jordan brought to the debate?
3: Well, I knew him well. I worked for him for five years at the Urban League. Right, and I traveled with him occasionally, um, and so I, I I did work under him there. He was the uh, the CEO, and I was I was a lowly department head. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so I knew him well, and I and I thought he he served well
0: yeah no, I, th- I think that people do remember and there's a lot of people it's funny i over the years i've met people who you know made it successful and they say, oh you know, vernon jordan helped me with that he did a lot I, I remember one time i don't know if it was in a congressional hearing or something but he he said something to my which is a line we all use but he really meant it to to uh, those who have much much is given to them they must pass it on they must always be thinking about how do i help the next person do that and he, he seemed to have that culture about him um, you know, may, may have had some different policy solutions than yours, but certainly uh, had that approach that once, you know, once you get uh, and you're blessed with opportunity, you need to pass that on. And I, I remember that as his, as his legacy. Um, the Woodson Center is doing amazing work. Uh, when I look at it, and there's just, it, it's just a fount of ideas and policies and concepts and essays. How do people follow what you do, and how do you define what the Woodson Center is? It's so big uh, in, in its mission, but how do you well, define it when you tell people?
3: Well, we, we this uh, this July, <clears throat> we celebrate our 40th year. Wow, I, I
0: didn't know that, 40 years.
3: Yeah, yeah, we have been We have served as as an incubator for empowerment of low-income communities. We we have reached out to 2,500 low-income grassroots leaders of all racial groups in 39 states. And we have been an incubator of these social entrepreneurs. We go into high-crime, low-income neighborhoods and find solutionists. And once we find them, we apply Miracle Grow in terms of training and giving them access. (laughs) I like that Miracle
0: Grow. That's good. Yeah.
3: Uh, And and training, and so then we and then we we help them to prosper. So if they're helping ten young people, we provide them with the means for them to help fifty. So that's how we have expanded our network. I have a new book out uh, that's now uh, the Amazon. It's called Lessons from the Least of Bees. Wow. And I've identified the uh, 10 Woodson principles. Everything that I have learned over the last uh, 40 years, I have sort of distilled them into these principles. And it's doing pretty well. And it kind of uh, educates people as to what to look for in these neighborhoods. And once you find it, how to uh, assist it to grow and what are the lessons that we can learn. And I do go into the race versus the empowerment agenda right. in the book.
0: I have to ask because uh, 40 years of your distilled wisdom is like a century of incredible opportunity. What are some of these 10 principles? What are the 10 Woodson principles? There was at least some of the most important ones that you, you Well, hold some in? of the
3: most important one is never go into a low income neighborhood and And look at the exterior of maybe cracked sidewalks or abandoned homes, and assume there's nothing of value there.
1: Uh, Always
3: powerful. assumed that the sickest part of body draws the healthiest antibodies. So the first principle is don't don't come in and parachute your well-intentioned but ill-conceived approaches to helping people, whether it's into a neighborhood or to an organization or to a home always assume that there's something to build on that's the first principle another characteristic of uh, an effective grassroots how you can tell is that they are entrepreneurial they didn't start as a result of funding organizations legitimate organizations are entrepreneurs they start to solve a problem and then they look for support another characteristic to look for is they're transparent. They will willingly share with you the challenges that they have. They will also leave you alone with those that help.
0: <laughs> Imagine um, that. Yeah. Well, that, that's a, a, yeah. Um,
3: and, and they have agency. They have the, the, the ability to be agents of their own uplift. Um, uh, another characteristic of helping is reciprocity. Don't go in Always go in with the expectation that someone will be able to give back in return for what you've given to them. They may not return it to you, but they ought to be getting, expected to give it to someone else.
0: Pass it on, right? Yes,
3: yeah. that's reciprocity. Is another one of the, uh, the the principles, and of course, integrity is another um, that that uh, we 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 talk about in the, in the book. Wow. And so there are several of these kinds of, of 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 principles that we think if you follow you you'll be able to establish uh worthwhile relationships that empower people and not injure them with the helping hand
0: yeah that's that's such an important concept and you know it's a subtlety that gets often Missed in public policy, but sometimes help has the con- the converse effect if it isn't well thought, if it isn't well executed, and um, uh, your your ideas are so prescient. If someone wants to get involved with the Woodson Center, they want to donate, they want to they want to get involved in the activities, they, they can, want to grab the curriculum. How do they do it?
3: They can go to uh, woodsoncenter.org dot org or Seventeen Seventy Six unitescom dot com. 17... 1776unite.com or org. Either one of those, you can go to our donate page, but also you can look at our curriculum. You can download our essays. we got videos there. Uh, we have a rich array of uh, uplifting, inspirational, and aspirational material.
0: That's important. I can't wait for uh, for people to go check it out. Please do. I've been blessed to... Uh, see Bob and his work for many years. And, and this is a man who has enormous impact, real street cre- uh, street cred, because he's actually solving problems, not talking about uh, uh, how other people aren't solving problems. He, he's actually a solution maker and ideas man. And we've been blessed for all these years to, to see him in action. And you should too, go check him out at, at the Woodson center right now. Bob, I can't thank you enough for spending so much time. I want to bring you back on the show. I could talk to you for hours. I'm fascinated by, <laughs> by all the wisdom that it. you have. I'll so. be delighted to. All right. Well, thank you very much. And folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up for the day. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a health care provider. All right, folks, that wraps it up for the day. What a day. Bob Woodson, Rogan O'Hanley, some breaking news about Andrew Cuomo. You got it, and don't forget... Check out the Ancestry DNA kit. I'm on mine right now. I'd love it. This is going to be a fun project for my family. It will be for yours too. All right. We'll be back tomorrow with another big show, big guests, lots of news. Until then, may God bless you and may God bless this great country as he always has. Thank you for listening to John Salomon Reports. Thank you for reading JustTheNews.com. And whenever you need that news fix, when you want to figure out what's really going on in the world, remember to check us out at JustTheNews.com. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, God bless you. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner. Whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bike.